the house. Let me hear your bark. Let me see you bite. Let me see your scar. You know what we about. Come see us in the yard. Hello and welcome to All We Hear is Purple, the third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast on the entire internet. Thanks for sticking with us after we really leaned into our mediocrity by having scheduling issues preventing us from recording last week. It's really on brand. I'm Andrew Berg. Gaby Lucas is back this week. Gaby, how are you doing tonight? Hi, I'm doing good. I am waiting for my booster shot to make my arm fall off but it hasn't happened yet so we're good oh it's not stretched and kind of felt it though a little bit uh coach b couldn't be with us tonight he's busy uh chasing down cody pickett trying to get a comment on michael Penix breaking all of his records uh for single game accomplishments so um we'll welcome back coach b and hopefully he'll have lots of good commentary from uh our our hero our lord and savior cody pickett uh, let's talk a little bit about the Arizona game. We didn't talk about Arizona State. There's one common thread through these last two games. Well, more than one, but one notable one was that they both overlapped significantly with very important Seattle Mariners <laughs> playoff games, which is something that we haven't experienced a lot of. Before we even get into these games, I kind of want to just talk a little bit about the experience of these last two games. Uh, what's it been like for you? I mean, you know, lifelong Seattle sports fan and also Mariners follower has been, you know, disastrously long between mm-hmm. trips to the playoffs, trying to balance these uh, viewing experiences over the last couple of weeks. Um, well, I mean, you got to prioritize and I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, Washington. Anyone who follows me knows that like my like fourth word was Edgar and I uh, talked about this like in my piece about like when Gabby Plain played her last game for UW about like why UW softball matters so much to me and it all comes back to the Mariners and UW football and the Mariners were both like the two first sporting events I ever went to as like a infant as a premature infant just kidding they didn't take me (laughs) then because i was in the hospital um but as a very 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 small baby slash toddler and i think i i i mean i i understand that there are people who are just washington people and that's fine you do you there's no right way to do to like what you like but like yeah i like 100 percent cried when they came back over Toronto like I'm <laughs> like it, it it is just that whole the whole last 20 I mean people talk about it like oh it's the last 21 years and this is like the exorcism of all that but like I think the Mariners are something that I mean there's no no team or community of people or whatever you can't take anything out of context like no one event matters um, and I talked about that actually in today's SNS about like 70 to 21 kicked ass. Like it was such <laughs> a great yeah. experience. We all loved it. It gave us the point, uh, it, you know, it gave us Buda Baker being the crap out of Justin Herbert's uh, <laughs> a good day on his very first throw as a starter. But like if 70 to 21 was every year from the start of, college football until the sun explodes those are just numbers <laughs> like I don't I don't care <laughs> and yeah so 
so the last the last couple of weeks uh i'm like i'm sorry washington but everything that yeah you the this like there I, there's nothing i don't think that could have uh gotten in the way of me my my entire priority for the last couple of weeks has been the mariners yeah. minus the one when they when cal raleigh ended the drought uh i had a job to do that night so i had to i i had to um i five minutes after i got off stage i he ended that the drought ended um so i wasn't able to watch yeah. that live but that, I immediately i immediately yeah. immediately left that was well, also left. during the ucla game <laughs> like, which was also during the UCLA. Which, yeah. yeah that's why i missed the ucla game and initially because i was going i would have been watching both of them side by side and then i had a show and then cal rally ended the drought and i went outside and watched replays of rick riz or dave no dave sims calling that on repeat for like 10 minutes so i don't my know my favorite I, uh dave sims story of the last month was uh during one of the I, I was listening to one of the houston games while i was jogging and he was doing the radio and i was listening to him talk about being in houston and he said you know outside the stadium here you can really tell you're in texas because there's a picture of a gun with a circle around it and a line through the gun. Now that means you can't bring guns into the stadium. It's like, thanks, Dave. <laughs> Very helpful information. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, it, it's been a weird, I think what you kind of where you started with on this saying that it's it's not either or. I mean, there are probably some people for whom it's an either or decision, like, enjoying the Mariners has to come at the expense of enjoying something else. I think it's great like that we get to have both of these experiences in the same fall. Um, I I yeah. don't know if this is just like a sign of aging, but my ability to digest two sporting events at the same time is getting worse and worse. Which <laughs> is like, I try to watch two of them at the same time and I just do it very poorly. Uh, like during the Arizona state game, I had both of them on separate screens and it was like I was either noticing one or the other. So we're, I noticed it was 8-1. And then suddenly, like, the Huskies have kind of collapsed. And the mm-hmm. offense, you know, <laughs> playing so poorly. And then all of a sudden, it's 8-5. And I'm like, oh, I really mm-hmm. need to stop trying to split my attention between these two and just focus on uh, the, the baseball game. But I, I this week was even worse. Um, I ended up going to the, to the Mariners game, which I was very happy about. This is the um, 15th fall that i've lived in seattle and since i moved here i've been excited to go to a playoff game at t-mobile which is yeah in my opinion <laughs> like one of the very best baseball stadiums out of the i don't know what i've 27 or something that i've i've been to in person and it's one of my absolute favorites um and i i was going i had tickets on sunday because i had i was going to the arizona game and a friend of mine on friday night said my brother has eight tickets and seven of them are spoken for do you want the other one mm-hmm. and i was agonizing over it and my wife was like this is a much yes. rarer thing you have yeah. to go to that and i was like yeah you're right one is uh, just on a saturday yeah like one of them is just a saturday we will get that every single year and the other we've waited a very very long time exactly. for yeah uh and i you know hopefully it'll happen next year but like but yeah for me when it's like two things that i care so much about i mean for one the mariners probably not probably definitely had more uh formative shaping of my identity uh when i was little even though football was like the only thing i wanted to do (laughs) but i couldn't um 
and so even so i mean even without that though like i mean well yeah one of those is historic and and one of those is a saturday and yeah, i don't well i don't right. not love the the saturday you know any less it's just <laughs> it's it's a saturday it's true and, and i'll be I mean, happy to return to those saturdays now that this is over <laughs> yeah and and fortunately um it was kind of a saturday that was rescued from the brink of disaster late uh and I, like i said during the game i was following it on gamecast from center field at t-mobile uh i went back and watched the the game later so i i had you know it, it but it is a very different experience trying to watch the game when you already know what happened as opposed yeah. to watching it in the moment i know there was for a long stretch it felt like uh watching the game watching the game over gamecast is like oh man this is like we just kind of need to run out the clock here we just kind of <laughs> need to get this over with because it feels like if they keep getting the ball back arizona keeps getting the ball back they're just going to keep scoring and it came very close to that at the end i have like p i have like <laughs> husky ptsd over watching like gamecast like refresh 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 on espn because i did that when the um for the uh cal uw lightning delay game because yeah. uh, yeah. i was somewhere where we didn't have a tv and we were at a bar watching it and then that happened and then final eventually we couldn't wait anymore because it was a gazillion o'clock at night and so we went home and we we're refreshing that and i just remember seeing like catch over kyler gordon blah 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 and being like oh for so yeah so i have this like nagging pit in my stomach if i ever have to go to gamecast where i would just prefer to just like see this our slack writers group notifications pop up and just live vicariously through your guys's hopefully not senses of dread but reactions yeah it, it is kind of funny reading those comments things like i don't know it seemed like that should have been targeting yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah exactly. it should have been i didn't see it but i'm sure you're right um, that's funny you bring up the Cal game because that was probably the last time I was in a stadium for like six straight hours before sa Saturday. Mm -hmm. um, it is, I mean, the, the, I think the main thing that people will remember from this game and, you know, insane as the baseball game was, this ended up being a fairly noteworthy football game as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just hard to come up with any more superlatives from Michael Penix and Romo Dunze. We've talked a little bit about how uh, there's been a rotating cast of characters in the receiver room, like four or five different guys have had big weeks at different times. But I obviously at this point, Odunze has kind of emerged as a one from that group. Uh, he had another hundred yard game, 159 yard game to be specific, 169 mm -hmm. yard game, sorry, with a pair of touchdowns. Although he, uh, he probably owes a little bit of that to Jackson Kirkland because one of his 50 yard touchdown cast catches came right after a Kirkland holding call negated a Giles Jackson 50 yard <laughs> touchdown pass instead. So <laughs> to, thanks, Mr. Yeah, Kirkland. Yeah. Uh, but Penix's numbers were about as good as it, they can get 516 yards, five touchdowns, counting the, the rushing touchdown. Everybody, it, like it was just, it, it seemed to me over the first few weeks of the season that he's more comfortable when he's making quick throws outside the numbers. And he's able to make a quick read. He can diagnose a defense and, and get the ball out quickly. And I've thought, like, why don't they just stick with that for the whole game? And I get that Arizona's defense is not a good defense. It's not a competent defense. But they got into a rhythm with that early, and they just stuck with it. It's, you know, short throws outside, deep throws outside. And mm -hmm. it just plays into his strengths so incredibly well. But, you know, kind of zooming out from this particular game, how meaningful are these performances for – 
Penix and Odunze for you, like in the context of if this is it for these two guys, if they go, both end up in the draft after this year, how do you, how are you going to remember them? How are you going to see them historically? Like are, when you think of them as, you know, all time heroes, or is it just kind of like a blip in the radar? Um, oh, I think that's a good question, especially because of what we were talking about earlier and how numbers don't matter um, <laughs> until they do. Um, I think, I mean, I think Penix, especially in my mind is, um, I mean, regardless of how the rest of the season goes, and this is kind of what is that a Mariners cup that you took from the stadium and just drank out of? <laughs> Actually, it's a the oh. Climate Pledge Arena take with you um, aluminum recyclable cup. I'm sure this is going to be really interesting yeah, for the radio. listeners of our famously famously televisual medium. But anyways, moving on. Prove it. I hear the clicking. Well, the reason I ask is because um, I've been to a couple, a handful of Mariners games with my cousins and dad and uncles this summer and we he turned it into a thing where my mom picked up a bunch of glass a bunch of the beer cups to keep them um like a, a crazy person and then my dad followed suit in the next handful of games so now they have like 15 mariners beer cups just lying around and i'm very well versed in what they look like <laughs> and wanted to know if you're crazy too um anyways <laughs> <laughs> I do have a collection of Mariners spring training plastic cups um, oh, so going back yeah. about a decade or so. So <laughs> I have my own form of insanity. Perfect. Um, anyways, uh, I, I think regardless of how the rest of the season goes and regardless, you know, disregarding the two losses because it wasn't that wasn't, you know, his fault or whatever. I just think it's I'm just having so much fun enjoying just enjoying the act of watching football <laughs> like and, and having something that is fun and not feeling like kind of fatalistic um because i mean we talked about it in the past that pretty much all of last year it was like such a existentially dreadful thing like i'm just wasting you know f- four hours of my life plus every weekend for no reason other than some sort of arbitrary uh declared loyalty to this um and and so i think just to i mean him it's obviously not just him him and kalen DeBoer and all that um and 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 this is repeating what we said earlier in the year but but i i think for me at least so far that is kind of what's going to be the lasting impression of like just making this something that i associate with good emotions instead of depression um and i think yeah also for rome who i i selfishly hope is back again next season oh for sure Um, hopefully yeah yeah um i i think i don't know i think there's something about about seeing especially on a in, a in a dynamic like football where there's one player who gets so much of the spotlight sometimes rightfully so sometimes not like like i forget who exactly to, who it is that said that that said that coined this but like wins are not a quarterback stat um like we disproportionately ascribe successes and failures to that position 
and it's ridiculous. I think um, Mina Kimes might have said that first. I think I, I was going to say, isn't that Mina Kimes? Okay. Yeah, I heard her um, debate somebody named Dave Damashek, who's a comedy writer who became a football podcaster about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it was a memorable debate about it. And his uh, his response was, you know, those Lombardi trophies, they only give out one of those every year. They do matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but a fair point either way. Yeah. And but so I, I think having like, players like Rome and obviously all the receivers, but he's especially stood out um, as far as their connection. I think it's just so much. It's, it's just, I, I really enjoy, I think being able to see like that, that connection, both like from an X's and O's standpoint and to just see like just d- two dudes having fun. <laughs> like It's just, I think, I think, and it's kind of like the antithesis of what you're seeing in like Denver right now with Russell, where like it looks like one guy having a shitty time and his teammates having a shitty time. And like there is that pane of glass in between them. Like it, it feels like they're two different entities that happen to be wearing the same thing. And I think having players who are both on the same page, but also at least by all appearances, genuinely like like seeming to support each other and just have fun um like there's the the jod boyce line of like the point of play is to forget that play is the point and i feel like that is kind of what this team and especially this offense of course um it feels kind of like to me and i think i think it's kind of exemplified in those two that duo right there yeah, I think even putting it another way, I, I agree with all of that. It, it's it's joyful. And it makes you jump out of your seat and celebrate. And it's not, you know, Odunze has done a lot of this, but Penix is the the driver because uh, mm-hmm. we've seen it with Giles Jackson and Jalen McMillan yeah. and Jalen Holt different times. Yeah, it, Jake Westover hurdling people every time he gets the ball. You should call him uh, Jake. We need more Jakes. This is what Jack happens Westover, when, we don't, yeah. when we don't have enough Jakes yes. in the quarterback room. We yeah, we need more Jakes. Just they're, Jake. they're all Jakes. Jake McMillan and Jake Polk and Jake Jackson. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's compared to last year. It's like a, every game has a season's worth of plays that make you jump out of your seat. Even the losses, like the UCLA loss was maddening and the, the result wasn't fun, but there's a lot of fun stuff that happened along the way. And that's an improvement like it can be fun to watch even when you lose instead of making you just bang your head against the table yeah exactly like i yeah yeah like our losses this season which granted i've only watched a little bit of just based on the circumstances unrelated to the fact that they lost um like are the losses this year even though the, the defensive you know um uh decline has been frustrating but like the losses have still been more fun this year than the wins were last year and like by a long shot you know Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, not even I, close. Yeah, I do enjoy the thought also, um, because I'm, um, a sadist, saddest, sadist, whatever the word is. I do enjoy the fact, the idea that some people are listening to this, wanting to learn or have insights into anything football related, and we're just giving them shitty philosophy. <laughs> yeah, eh, close enough. Uh, around for this yeah. long, you'd like it. So there were a couple of things from this game I just wanted to touch on quickly. Um, just kind of get your your feelings on these things. I actually this you know the things about banging your head against the wall. There were a couple of those moments in this game, and it's something we've seen a few times this year. Just having trouble in offensively in short yard situations, mm-hmm. which is odd because the offense has been so incredibly good most of the time. But there seems to be kind of a preoccupation when you get third and one, fourth and one, fourth and goal, something like that. There's too often 
defaulting to misdirection. And so often this ends up with the defense just kind of pursuing the ball and gobbling up the runner right at the line of scrimmage. It happened three more times in this game. There was twice fourth and one on the Arizona 19, twice in the first half, and they turned it over in both those situations. It was like, what what are the odds that you end up with mm-hmm. fourth and one on the 19 and give it up twice? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if if you keep seeing the, the idea of misdirection is that you're able to play off of the defense's expectations but if they're expecting you to pitch the ball or run a jet sweep uh, you kind of lose that advantage uh you know in these short yardage situations you kind of want to see like either like you you the numbers are in your favor because you can line up and block for one yard and move the ball forward or uh you just have such an effective passing game that you can get two yards through the air which i think we do and i kind of would like to see more of that i don't know if you have a different feeling about that um, I, I think, I think you're on to something. I don't, I, I would say for myself, I don't have any one single, um, like this is how I want to do it. Period. For sure. Yeah. Um, which, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying you, you're, you're saying well, it's that, kind of, I'm kind of complaining how, about how it should do. That What's seems that? to, I'm kind of complaining about that seems to have been the approach. Like sure. it's yeah, very yeah, yeah. doctrinal that we are always going to pitch the ball or yeah. get it on the outside. Yeah. Well, and that's one thing, uh, one of the reasons why I think it was the first game. No, was it Michigan State? I don't know. It was either the first or the second or the third. It was one of those of the year where um, we were on the goal. I think it was this. It doesn't matter. I don't know why I keep trying to remember um, where we, we had the like, oh, it was Michigan State. All right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it was against Michigan State where they had the two goal line stands against us. Um, and uh where we just i think both times pretty much ran it up the middle four times in a row essentially or ran it between the tackles four times in a row um and i and i remember a lot of people complaining about that at the time and i don't think that was an unreasonable thing to complain about um i i think there's arguments to be made either way but that's actually one of the reasons why i I really don't dislike that approach in general in really short yardage situations at least on the goal line um for at least when when you're on like you know third or fourth and inches or a yard elsewhere in the field you know then I'm not gonna be like that <laughs> because you don't have that like compounding statistic or probabilities um but if you're like say at, at, at um at like first and goal on the one yard line then when you look at the probabilities of it, all else held constant like your two FBS teams and one isn't like Alabama versus, I don't know, who's the Florida International. Like, like as long as you're two relatively even ish, like emphasis on emphasis on the ish, you should if you're you should be able to run it up four times and get one yard one of those times. Like that is just versus when you're when when and you see I feel like you see this happen quite often with offensive coordinators where. They get there on first down, run it once up the middle-ish, don't get it, run it another time either up the middle or, yeah, up the middle um, or between the tackles. And then on third and one or half a yard or whatever, then try to do it like what you're talking about, either pitch it or, or, um, or, or, or like end around or whatever. And then it's like fourth and one and they either try a bootleg or they try that again, or maybe they do run it up the middle. But like, once you start 
trying all these different things, then especially when they have a potential for further loss and they're higher risk, you know, relatively than run it up. Who thought after a year of complaining about John Don, I would advocate for running it up like into the the A gap or B gap or whatever. Um, Then, then those don't, aren't working together uh, like probability wise. So for me, I, at least on goal lines, I see what you are saying. And that is a long way of me saying that I agree with you many times. And I think, (laughs) I think oftentimes that's when like boring shit is actually good <laughs> and even like it against michigan state when we got held up twice i still don't think those were bad calls um because it's really just unless you're playing alabama and you're like an alabama when they have their best defensive interior ever um you're really it's so unlikely that that's gonna happen on a on four attempts versus if you do two attempts there then you're likely yeah okay they can stop you twice pretty that's very reasonable and then you're going to a more high risk maneuver and then probably another more high risk maneuver um yeah that's when things kind of tend to fall apart yeah i think that's right it's it's like it's a game theory equation and the variables change based on what you do and then how the other team responds and so on and it's like ever evolving but you know if you keep doing the same thing and you're not evolving then it becomes a lot easier to predict um one more thing before we move off, I we haven't even talked about the defense and how Jaden Delora had another just like insane day at Husky Stadium, although this time didn't get to plant a flag. Uh, I, I'm just so impressed by his internal clock. Uh, you know, when your whole pass defense is predicated on pass rush, since we can't cover anyone, uh, the guy who could just kind of like step away from a tackle uh, that he doesn't even have any right to see coming is a very yeah. difficult thing to offset. Like it, it's he, the way he moves around in the pocket and ducks away from uh, sacks is, is uncanny. He's, he's extremely good at that. And he's usually doing it, looking to throw. He did it to run plenty of times in this game. Kind of made me a little bit frustrated that we weren't, you know, maybe a little bit more flexible about playing more zone with the defensive backs who are available. But I also understand the long-term need to develop the guys we have in the system that we're going to play. But man, it, it can be tough when a guy's just like cooking the way he was for this game. He was, he was excellent again. Yeah. He kind of reminds me of the anti Russ in that, that like pocket presence or at least the anti. Yeah. The anti Russ. <laughs> <It's, laughs> at least I, at this I, point. Yeah. 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 I'm glad. I'm glad that the Mariners, even if they lost, I'm glad that they were distracting me from, um, from that whole, uh, that from the yeah. from that whole apple cup ptsd if i was watching him escape the pass rush and escape the pocket you know 20 times like he did uh not knowing the result of the game i would not be speaking so admiringly of how he did it i would have been much more upset about it while it was happening mm-hmm. but because i saw all of these plays knowing that we'd already won it can you can just say like hey we really beat a tough quarterback feel good about it <laughs> This is a much more civilized way to look at it. All right, let's um, take a break now. We're going to come right back uh, for part two to talk about uh, heading to Cal next week in the Pac-12 After Dark game in what has been a house of horrors for us in the past. But hopefully this week will go a little bit better. So stick around. Welcome back to part two. This week, we're looking ahead to traveling down to California, playing Cal, who just is coming off an absolutely catastrophic loss to Colorado, who... I did not think was going to win a game this year. Uh, I was pretty sure they weren't going to win a game uh, and does not look good for Colorado or for Cal to have lost to them. Uh, I think the biggest issue for Cal this year, other than 
a crazy offensive explosion against these very same Arizona Wildcats for guess what? 49 points. Uh, the offense has been like mediocre or worse. Uh, the the times when they've clicked have been when Jaden Ott, their freshman running back, has just exploded for big plays. So I guess the question here is, can our run defense slow down a crazy playmaker who who goes for, you know, 80 yard runs when he gets into space? Like that seems like it will have a lot to do with the, the key to this game. Do you have any feeling on that? Um, well, I will say that I'm much gl- <laughs> I'm very happy that this is that he's new this year yeah. um because <laughs> i part of me is like almost happy about that because obviously our passing defense for the first time in a decade is 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 washington's weakness and so when when you have a running back i kind of mentioned alluded to, alluded to this against stanford too when uh smith was out for them that like when you have when you have such a uh weighted offense in one direction as far as not you know i mean like we've seen with cal they're they're not great at much except for handing it off to him generally speaking although i'm sure i just jinxed it um like it it it's the the temptation reasonably so um is to just hand it off to that guy and considering that you know stopping the run is relative to the alternative is um Washington's defensive strength asterisk, you know, at the end of that. Um I I'm I'm glad that it's I, I will say they feel kind of like the anti-Arizona as far as Arizona's like McMillan cowing Delora, just like a f- really annoyingly persistent air attack and and these guys being the exact opposite. I I feel a lot less uh clenched up about it <laughs> but then it but then like x's and o's wise that's how i feel but then it's cal and cal like they're 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 not at the level of, of traveling to tempe but they are just a very it's such a why is it that every i swear every time every time we play cal it's just not fun <laughs> yeah some of these are like specific locations that are a problem like going mm-hmm. to tempe We've done reasonably well against ASU in Seattle. Uh, we've just done poorly against Cal everywhere. And it's always like very weird things that are happening, like the aforementioned uh, Thunder game. The, yeah. the thing that's strange to me about Cal is they have their offense relies so heavily on this one running back, but they still are willing to throw the ball a lot. They're yeah. just not very good at it. They, <laughs> they Like last week against Colorado, whose defense is terrible. They, they recognize this. They threw the ball 52 times for 262 yards, which is terrible. Like if you throw <laughs> the ball 52 times, that's, you know, less than five yards per attempt. That's very bad. So uh, bad. And, and against a really bad defense, he did a similar thing against Notre Dame, 37 attempts, 184 yards. Uh, there were some slightly better games in there along the way, but it's been, you know, not the kind of like completion percentage or yards per attempt that you would expect from a team that wants to throw the ball a lot. So, I mean, maybe we are the cure for what ails that with our, our past defense, but he's, you know, Plummer has not been uh, a great, hasn't had the movement in the, in the pocket that somebody like Delora has, or, you know, the other quarterbacks who have burned yeah, us have had. Uh, so really hopefully true. we can kind of tee off on him the way that we did on Tanner McKee, uh, Maybe we'll see. Uh, it, it's that's it, at least kind of what I'm hoping for. Any thoughts on Cal's defense, or still kind of getting familiar with that so far? 
yeah, I am. I am tentatively optimistic about this uh, because of what you said. Like so much of of DTR um, and and with ASU and Jaden Delora and stuff is is quarterbacks that are just like really annoyingly difficult to finish uh, the pass rush <laughs> against. Um, and yeah, I, th- I feel like Plummer's much more like I mean exactly like you said so so my my hope is because what we got four sacks against Arizona not yeah, against two DTR. in the last three two of the last three snaps they've played so it was even that yeah bad. sure and that was all like just yeah. didn't happen until the end how many against ASU one I think okay yeah so not great um not yeah um but so my my hope is be- is that that you know they can actually finish on those um but even if they can't like with a quarterback who really isn't isn't very maneuverable like even if you can just make him uncomfortable most guys especially at the college level like most guys aren't going to be making good passes if they can't get their feet set most guys aren't going to be making very good passes if they have to change their arm angle um except with with the exception of of frankly a bunch of, of people who are very athletic and people who have a baseball background um especially if they're uh like in middle infielders and or michael Penix weirdly huh or michael Penix weirdly that's definitely shown some arm angles i'm assuming if he did he's left-handed so he's probably not an infielder but i don't know good point i forgot about that um yeah i mean i mean yeah just people who just kind of have that that coordination because that's really what it what it is um coordination and anticipation um and so I, I feel like even if they aren't able to necessarily get home as much as they'd like, I still think just to be able to make him uncomfortable. Um, I mean, that's that's like I feel kind of stupid saying that because like no shit. But, <laughs> but um, but but I think it will. This will definitely be like. I mean, we know that the secondary is is down bad right now, but if they're if they can't at least make some stuff happen against Cal, then 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 they're then they're then they're down batter to a point where yeah i mean i mean it feels kind of weird to say this because like really how much more can we learn about them uh as far as their regression from last year uh both from a raw talent standpoint um and a readiness standpoint because a lot of the guys are really young and a and a scheme uh standpoint <laughs> but uh yeah if if they if they get shredded versus cal then that that is an issue <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think the the upside of this is getting shredded against Cal. I mean, I know I with the evidence of the Arizona game, in spite of that, I I don't think we're giving up 250 rushing yards to Jade Knott or whatever it took to get them to 49 points there. Other than that, their offense just has not produced uh, at a level that is likely to keep up with our what our offense is doing every week, even in bad games. So it, it would be pretty tough for them to um to, to keep it close enough. Let's talk. There are a couple of interesting games uh, around the rest of the PAC 12. So quickly touch on those before we wrap up. Uh, most notable one being Utah pulling out the win over USC. I don't think that was terribly surprising. Just the, the fact that U- USC lost a very difficult road game against Utah. The way it happened was very exciting. You know, uh, Utah, Utah, the Utah Utes <laughs> threw for 415 or 424 yards rising was good for 415 of that. Their tight end Dalton Kincaid had 16 catches for 234 yards, which I, I don't remember the last <laughs> time. I mean, does. maybe Kyle Pitts had a game like that at some point. They scored with uh, just seconds remaining to go ahead, went for two. Uh, 
got the two point conversion. Uh, Cam Rising ran it in. I mean, that's that's an exciting game. Did you? So when you think about that, I mean, there's multiple ways to look at this. Maybe there's you know satisfaction that USC has lost just because they're USC and they're one of the teams fleeing the conference. Maybe it's more along the lines of uh, it hurts the Pac-12 not to have that inner circle CFP contender uh, and getting attention national TV and everything. Where do you come down on that? Do you have mixed feelings or is it all just like, nope, hate those guys? Yeah, that one. <laughs> no, Fair honestly, yeah. sure. Maybe five years ago, I'd be like, oh man, that's bad for the Pac-12. Blah, blah, blah. Who gives a shit anymore? Yeah, (laughs) we're not even like 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 they're they're like peacing out like i don't beat the shit out of them i don't care like that was that was actually the thing i was most sad about about uw losing to ucla is that besides the fact that leading into that game uh they looked like the worst 4-0 team in the country um fuck you that's why (laughs) like yeah fair point well reasoned um yeah i i any and and i'm not super surprised like if just because um like if you looked at uh at the oklahoma teams under lincoln riley they you know they were clearly the best team in the big 12 but they still it's not like they were unbeatable and utah tends to be a team like yeah if anyone was gonna come out and give them the the English archer double finger up, like it's going to be Utah. <laughs> um, and I, to be honest though, I, I, I was like following along on just like Twitter reactions on that game, but because that was the end of the longest shutout in postseason or the longest zero, zero, you know, whatever in postseason history, I was so exhausted. Like I, I didn't know I could be so tired from just sitting for seven hours that I, I didn't, I, I didn't have it in me to watch the end of the game. I was like, I, I can't watch more sports right now, or else yeah. my brain will melt and come out my sinuses. Um. So, but I had a real, I, I, I think, like it took to steal uh lines from Sarah Silverman. For for everybody else, that was their show was watching that game but for me they were my show <laughs> and that was just <laughs> who watches the watchers yes yeah just being like oh, i wonder how everyone seems like they're having a very good time right now this is delightful um I, I i think watching other people's stress and heart rates just like watching other people's emotional roller coaster uh you know when you're exhausted mentally physically whatever I highly recommend that. I highly recommend that no matter what your energy levels are. It's very fun. Normally, I would be watching that game. That night, I was like, I can't do anything. I'm going to lie here and watch people watch this game. Yeah. I, I I came home from the baseball game. I, like, very quickly got out of the stadium. I, I <laughs> kind of saw where this was going. I almost got crushed in a uh, like human stampede, just trying to get to my seats. And mm-hmm. so like in the ninth inning, I was, I said to my friend, we were in the left field uh, upper deck. And I was like, I am going to go watch the end of this game from um, the center field uh, mm-hmm. concourse right, and then yeah. stood there for 10 straight innings, oh but then gosh. got out quickly. Yeah, it's, it's like my reasoning hasn't changed. And I don't understand yeah. what a sunk cost is. So I'm just going to keep standing here. <laughs> well, as, uh, far, as far as you knew, the game could have been over at any minute. Yeah. And it was, it was just a lot of minutes later. It's just like four hours later. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I got out to the light rail, 
light railed home as quickly as I could, took a shower, read a book. It was like not even <laughs> looking at what the other scores are, not even yeah, considering. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the other one that was very surprising was Stanford beating, you know, what was Notre Dame preseason number four in the country or something. Man, uh, oh. And has turned out to be quite bad. I it, like you put it. It's one way to put it. Notre Dame lost to a team that ran the ball 42 times for 97 yards against them. Uh, it was oh. Stanford oh, just boy. bludgeoning the backs of their offensive linemen uh, with helmets and still somehow coming out with a 16-14 win. I mean, I guess this is enough to – I even saw – I don't know where this came from, somewhere in the athletic. I think somebody's suggesting, like, maybe this is the year that uh, there starts to be a little bit of pressure on David Shaw. Uh, yeah. This is probably enough for him to just be like – uh this is just what we needed we're gonna get it turned around based on that i really think we got something going uh which is fine with me because it seems like stanford is just gonna be pretty bad now yeah no yeah that's that's honestly perfect perfect for uh uh, west coast what pac 12 or for pac 12 fans you gotta keep david shaw around a little bit longer although honestly i i i feel so bad for i I never thought i would say this i feel really bad for notre dame (laughs) And it it turns out all they needed to happen for me to not hate them, like, from the depths of my soul is for Brian Kelly to not be there. Like, Marcus Freeman seems like I, I want to be his friend. Like, he seems like a cool dude. And, like, he seems like a good guy. Brian yeah. Kelly is such a piece of crap. Like, I hate that man so much that when he left Notre Dame, I was like, especially when he left Notre Dame and all their staff pretty much gave him the finger and we're like we're staying here because up yours i i wanted them to succeed just to stick it to brian kelly so i am sad a little bit about that but uh you know what some you know again one day the sun will explode <laughs> yeah I, notre dame this year the the winning team in their games has scored 21 26 28 24 16 oh. And then they had a 45-32 game against North Carolina. This is a very bad offense. I can't believe I feel bad for Notre Dame. This is I I feel like they're the they're like the opposite of USC right now, where I'm like, man, you guys finally became likable. Yeah, I mean, maybe they will be occupy USC's spot for the next ten years of sleeping giant that just has like imploded and can't get their stuff together. Yeah. Um, I hope Marcus Freeman can turn it around though, because I like him a lot. Yeah, I'm never gonna like Notre Dame. I'm not gonna yeah, get over that's that. Fair. That's fine. You're uh, from the Midwest too, so you have more. I don't really have a great reason to hate Notre Dame. Yeah. I just don't like them. I mean, uh, that's very fair. Like that's how it should be. Yeah, that, that's how I was. That's how I thought I was until Brian Kelly left, and then I realized if it's in all else held constant, like if they have a a uh like a wins above replacement level coach, but like wins above replacement for like likableness, I will not like Notre Dame. Yeah. If they have a really unlikable coach, I will hate them with a passion. And it turns out that if they have a coach who I think is a very likable person, I will not, it's still like the Notre Dame institution makes me negative like them relative to if that likable coach was a coach at a less unlikable school. But with a likable enough coach, I cannot hate Notre Dame. And that is crappy math with Gaby. There's probably also just a, they don't have Brian Kelly anymore bounce. Just whoever was going to replace him. 
you're going to think, yes. I hate them less than I did before. Oh, of course. For any coach at all. Uh, I, hate, let's, I hate Brian Kelly so much. He's, he's an awful person. Remember when the, he, like, I don't he know was what responsible happened. for the death yeah, of Yeah, I was going yeah. to say he killed that guy. I don't think he killed the guy, but he, did, he didn't yeah. help. Yeah, he, yeah. Oh, <laughs> he my did God. not he's, kill he's him. such a shithead. I've never seen anyone be such an ass to 18-year-olds over and over and over and over again for decades and still and like not even be good at their job really you know and then still like oh my god he's such a uh, anyways well let's him. take it from there uh what do you got to plug <laughs> anything um, coming up <laughs> i i um i don't have well i have a handful of shows but not not any of them that i'm like i'm i want must... people to come to <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i mean there are some like that um i will say i know last time i plugged frayed the tv show right mm-hmm. yep um i am now going to plug it even more it is so good <laughs> like a little dutch boy plugging and plugging yeah just plugging that plugging the dam um it is i just finished season two there's two seasons right now the third one comes out in like another year which is bullcrap i hate how the commonwealth countries other than canada like when they make tv they wait like five years in between seasons assholes sorry i've sworn a lot more <laughs> the second half of this recording it's because we um, started talking about brian kelly i think yeah i hate him um it is no it's honestly so the first the first season is great the first season is is follows what do you expect it to follow the second season is it takes like it i don't want to say it turns 90 degrees uh because that makes it sound like it just like kind of out of nowhere like a, a switch is flipped and whatever um but it just completely changes it's still very much the same show and everything like fits so perfectly uh but it definitely takes a turn where you're like i you know if you told me in the pilot this would happen i would not have expected it but it is i mean i i genuinely don't know how i'm gonna wait for a year for the next it's so good cool. yeah it's so funny and so like but it's it's really funny but it's also just like suspenseful and and i i don't i it's been a really long time since i've seen a show that's so like the attention to detail about characters and characters and and plot and just kind of everything about it like there's i feel like there's nothing in that show that that isn't completely understood um uh, and and sarah kendall's so so funny and such a good writer god damn it i love that <laughs> it's so good pretty much how i feel about Dahmer. Yeah. it's just so funny i can't wait to see what they're going to do with season two the characters are so relatable no um, <laughs> and that's how we found out andrew is a psychopath <laughs> uh, i want to i was going to recommend uh a specific episode of a tv show on vice Ooh. they have a a, a a couple months ago i recommended a book about uh it was an old pro wrestling writer Mm -hmm. um, oh yeah so yeah, this yeah. is another old wrestling thing it's a it's a show called tales from the territories like the regional wrestling companies promotions were all called territories oh, in the cool. like 50s through the 80s and each episode of this they just get like four or five guys set them around a table uh the old guys who work together back in 
like Portland or Memphis or St. Louis or whatever, Amarillo, uh, and just have them tell stories. There was a whole episode. The second episode they did was all the guys in Memphis uh, talking about Andy Kaufman when he became a pro wrestler. And it was just an hour of them telling Andy Kaufman stories. And I mean, I would be up for 10 hours of Andy Kaufman stories. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, I was just grinning for an hour straight. There's so many good anecdotes, so many hilarious stories. He sold so hard that it was real and he broke his neck in the fake wrestling (laughs) match that his parents uh, never knew that it was that he did not break his neck. His parents, after he was dead, were angry at the guy who who in the storyline gave him a pile driver so it's so it's so wonderful it's just an amazing hilarious creative person i just love hearing andy coffin yeah yeah he's definitely like i don't know maybe is he the like all-time greatest like committed to the bit person i think so yeah their entire of somebody whose entire life is just one well it's not just that he's committed to it it's just that he's so good at it like i guess of course the closest thing we what i don't know maybe there are others but like i i think of now like nathan fielder kind of does a little bit of that but it's not even on the same scale it's just so good yeah no that that was the first person who popped into my mind too is like nathan fielder is like our closest approximation but he that's a completely different like yeah yeah kanye and kanye Kanye. Uh, yeah no yeah Kaufman's just on a completely different level well it's uh, a happy note to to close on uh yeah, thanks, yeah thanks for listening hopefully next week we'll have coach be back talking about uh what he learned from Cody Pickett we'll get some of those recordings back in the meantime hopefully we'll have better luck in Berkeley uh and go dogs go dogs Woo.